Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. Uh, I'm joined today by Stephen Wilmot, Companies Editor. Hello, John. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Good. And uh, Jonas Crosland, who is uh, one of our writers, covers uh, a number of financial sectors and property. That's right. Hi, John. How are you doing? Not too bad. Excellent. Good good of you to join us today. And uh, over in uh, the control room is uh, Mark Robinson. How are you doing, Mark? So I am. Okay. Excellent. You're going to talk to us today uh, about uh, North Sea Oil. Yeah, a little, a little bit, bit about the tax message in the budget. Indeed, because it is, it is budget week. And uh, although we will not go into uh, an enormous amount of detail about the budget, because we will have covered that in our personal finance podcast, which we recorded this morning, uh, a lot of that regarding uh, pension freedom rules and uh, the new ISA allowances and all of that lovely stuff um, will be covered in that. So go off and have a listen to that uh, once you've had a listen to this, of course. But uh, yeah, there is some stuff in the budget, as Mark said, uh, around North Sea Oil, which is quite interesting. There is some stuff in the budget around the uh, life assurance industry that's quite interesting uh, that we will touch on very briefly. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on in uh, the US, because this was the week in which uh, the Federal Reserve removed the word patient from its guidance. And this is this apparently apparently has enormous significance. I mean, have you been following this this in, insane uh, Fed watching that, that goes yeah, on? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? But I mean, it, it seems that there were points that both bulls and bears um, could draw on. So yes, the removal of the word patient was uh, critical for the you know for those who 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 think that they're about to raise interest rates, mm. um, but but at the same time they also sort of stress the data contingency of uh, interest rate increases. So sounds, sounds a bit like Carney's forward guidance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, and, and you know they stress that um, because of the rising dollar, you know, and exports weighing on exports, um, that, that that there's a bit more slack in the economy than they thought. So yeah, they've removed the word patient. But um, there's also more slack than they thought. So, so actually, we saw the dollar fall yesterday and um, the stock market jump, mm. suggesting that you know it's 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 as dovish as it always was. Yeah. Well, <laughs> see, I, I wrote my editorial on this subject, and I wish I hadn't at uh, six o'clock last night when the statement actually came out. I thought we'd have gone to press by then, <laughs> so we didn't. And um, yeah, uh, so I had to make a last minute change because I was preempting the removal of the word patient and. By the time we went to press, it had happened. So, um, but yeah, uh, I, I guess the the thought was that um, by becoming less patient, the, the Fed would be looking to interest rate rises in the summer, and now that's not a certainty at all. Yeah, uh, it, it just seemed. I think some people have pushed. I mean, I, I noticed Schroders, for example, their economics team pushed back the the date at which they expect the first interest rate increase in response to the. The minute, not the minutes, but the uh, the meeting yesterday. Mm. So, what, what did they say? When do they think it's going to happen? Um, I don't know. They uh, they they didn't specify, but they 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 just said they'd push back their interest rate, their it, expectation. It's interesting that you say you don't know because I think this this is what it all boils down to, and it's that nobody actually knows what's going for all the Fed watching. Mm. I think we are still in fairly uncertain times, and you know, as I mentioned in the editorial, economic data recently has not been great. Uh, you know, the IMF, uh, the World Bank, and as George Osborne mentioned yesterday, the Office of Budgetary Budget Responsibility yeah, have, have said that global growth is, yeah. is you know, they've downgraded. It seems they really need to have every argument in line to want to raise interest rates. Yeah. Not, clearly, not every argument is ever going to be in line. So I'm sure yeah. they'll, they'll come up with plenty of excuses. Well, and it has been said that, you know, uh, by certain people that, you know, we are not going to see interest rate rises here or in the US or anywhere else for a very, 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 very long time. 
Yeah, the secular stagnation argument, is, yeah. of course, plays into yeah. that as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, um, well, we're none the wiser as to when interest rates might rise. Um, what else has been going on? Uh, the budget. Let's go back to the budget. North Sea Oil, uh, Mark. This is you, you're not convinced by by the uh, the apparent giveaway in the budget uh, this week, are you? Well, unfortunately, it's it's more the same. Uh, we, we've got here um, a reduction in the supplementary level, which is effectively a reversal of an earlier policy that was um, instigated by George Osborne back in 2011. And so we, we're sort of standing still on that score. Um, the overall rate is down, and uh, the, treasurer, the Treasury says that it's going to mean a £1.3 billion boost for the industry. But unfortunately, these measures should have been taken a number of years ago because um, looking at the, the sort of projects that we get in the in the North Sea, they're expensive, long dated, and above anything else, um, the companies that uh, initiate these projects want some sort of transparency about their likely uh, cost base in the future, and that includes taxation. That was taken away in 2011, and so we've had a, a gradual fall away. Um, uh, we've got, now got something in the region of twenty-two billion pounds worth of assets up for sale in the North Sea, and uh, there's been a, a dearth of buyers up till now. We don't know if these uh, tax initiatives will, will change that in in uh, in the near term. What the Chancellor didn't mention as well was um, was to give some further clarity on uh, decommissioning costs, because whoever's going to be trying to pick up these assets in the North Sea, assuming they do. They want some clarity on that because, you know, if you were buying, if you were buying a mature uh, field in the North Sea, you wouldn't want to be lumbered with the uh, costs of taking it out of production. Uh, was there any response from the the industry? Well, fairly muted, really. I, I, I think it was pretty much in line with what, what a lot of people were expecting. The oil price itself is uh, is weakened over the last few days, partly due to the fact that uh, the political atmosphere between uh, Iran and the United States seems to be thawing somewhat on the nuclear issue. That could see an extra 800,000 barrels of uh, oil enter uh, global markets in, in fairly short order, which would obviously uh, depress prices even further. So I think, um, I think what's happened here with North Sea, as in a lot of the budget actually, it's just wallpapering over the cracks. Uh, I think that the damage was done a number of years ago, and it would take far more uh, radical surgery to bring it back into rude health. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. We'll come back on to oil in a bit because, Stephen, you're going to talk about your uh, taking stock column, which talks about uh, yield, the, the, the hunt for yield. And obviously, uh, some of the bigger oil producers have been decent dividend payers. But we've got a bit of a theory about this. Uh, let's, let's come on to that later. Thank you, Mark. We'll come back to you in a minute. Um, the other big company news in the budget was obviously uh, the pensions um, industry, which we expected. Um, yes, it but, was widely leaked over the weekend, but um, the, the, the news that um, the 5 million existing annuity holders um, in the UK will be able to cash in their, their annuities. So it's no longer an irreversible decision. But we don't think that's a problem, do we, necessarily, but, for, for the guys uh, that, that are in that well, industry? Well, yeah, there, there, was, there was speculation about how precisely this was going to be framed. And, and it would have been a bad thing for the life insurers because obviously the life insurers have this embedded value, which is that they only take a portion of the profit on annuities they, they sell now and the rest goes into embedded value. Mm. Um, and obviously if, if that, that had become uncertain, then they would have had to have feasibly taken write-downs on that. Um, but it doesn't look like it will be because people won't have the option to simply sell their annuity back to the the provider what will happen is that a th- sort of third parties will be able to come in and bid for 
those in, those annuities so that a secondary market is established. But if that's the case, then it doesn't actually affect the life insurer's sales. If 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 a third party wants to come up and offer, a, you know. 80 grand for a 100 grand um, annuity and the pensioner says yeah sure then that doesn't affect the the original profit that you know standard life or uh, legal in general or yeah. aviva made on the on the on the annuity so um from what we can see at the moment i mean it is subject to technical consultation but from what we can see at the moment they're going to go down that third party platform route which doesn't look like to be i mean in fact it may be a plus for the industry because they'll be able to like bid for this business themselves and create a, a new, you know, earning stream by, by, by buying up annuities at discounts from Indeed. those from those people who want to, you know, who are foolish enough, frankly, to to want to sell them. But then I guess there are people out there who'd rather have the cash. I think yeah, that, in that, certain emergency situations, I mean, people's life circumstances do change, and I yeah. guess that's the the insight underpinning the, this legislation, and, and it's not such a bad thing. But it's it's a, I would have thought for the vast majority of people, it would be very foolish. Mm, mm, indeed, interesting stuff, which we're going to explore in more detail next week because we've got a big feature coming out on uh, on pension freedom, which uh, will explore all of this in much greater detail uh, than we can do here. Okay, well, that's the uh, that's the big picture. Let's let's have a look uh, on a more micro scale. Let's start. Uh, with some of the companies that we've covered this week, Morrison, our, well, one indeed, of our yes, favourites. The, the lead, the lead results in this week's section is Morrison's, um, and um, which which announced that it was going to cut twenty three underperforming convenience stores. Now, what's interesting about that is not so much that that's a huge number, but um, that it, it only you know rushed into convenience stores a couple of years ago. So yeah, it's just a sign of the strategic chaos, really. Well, we we, we talked about this earlier. We we talked about the same. Uh, thing applying to its its foray into online uh, exactly uh, which I mean, which it, it, which from the state reading between the lines of the statement doesn't appear to be going quite as well as they thought it it might as well i mean yeah it, it, it was a, you know dalton phillips was for many years accused of two things being behind the curve on convenience stores and being behind the curve on, on online and then they made up for lost time and surprise surprise when you rush into something you don't mm. do it very well and you end up with bad locations and uh, for the convenience stores that they said that a third of their um, convenience stores weren't working as well as they'd hoped. Well, I'm not surprised because uh, I've seen there are three of these M locals near near me, and uh, one of them is in a town centre which is pedestrianised. Which you know, it's not exactly the place you would stop off to pick up a few bits on the way home, which I find odd. It's in an old Burger King. Um, the other is in in a pub, um, which is kind of a sort of out of town pub, which apparently speaking to a cab driver recently does okay and the other one is in a high street opposite Marks and Spencer's and I was in a Marks and Spencer's food hall the other day and it was packed full of pensioners as I discussed last week and Morrison's was empty uh, and you mentioned that they bought one near you as well yeah they, is, they, uh, they, they've opened one in just a couple of months ago um, near where I live and it's really um, not in a prime location at all I mean for one thing it's on a one way street which doesn't you know lend itself to Traffic flows precisely, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it is in a bit of a no man's land between sort of various um, sort of village centres in London, and it, it 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 yeah. I mean, it, whereas Tesco has the one on the the main road, and there's a co-op on the main road, and, and it just looks like Morrison's got their got their late. Um, what is it? They to pick up, you know, the the the, yeah. the, the last uh, prop, bit of retail property being flogged by a developer in London. Um, and um, and has been left with something which is underperforming. I mean, okay, that probably they won't assess that one probably for you know they have to leave them open for a, a year mm-hmm. or so before, to work out whether 
it'll do okay. Maybe this one will build up the trade, but judging by the, the location, I, I wouldn't have thought it, it would it, it'll do well. No, no. So they're they're, they're not just shutting twenty three, but they're also radically scaling back the pace of the the expansion, which I think started we were saying with them. Um, the demise of Blockbuster and Jessops a few years ago, they kind of um, decided that they'd take on a lot of leases, and that that, that doesn't you know instill faith in a strategy of picking you know good supermarket locations one by one, does it? The idea that they would sort of buy a wholesale load of leases from um, a, a failed no. uh, retailer in a completely different sector. No, they is, could, <laughs> it's, it's when you rush things that they don't go well. That's I think the motto uh, of the story. And they're going to cut their dividend as well. Yeah, to it to um, no less than five p. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> Which is what that's less than half uh, the yeah, level. That, 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 that's about a two point four percent yield on the share price as it was when we wrote the story which was just over 200p so. well indeed when well, i guess that you know i mean so if you look at the dividend yield as, as stated in this this article at 6.7 percent which i guess i guess um you know uh chimes with something we say often which is don't buy something for a high yield alone because because very often it points to the fact that a cut may mm. be on the way okay we, so we may yeah. talk about this in reference to oil and gas indeed well <laughs> let's let's come back to that in a minute uh Morris has got a new chief exec. Um, let's not write it off just yet. Yeah. There have been some very serious mistakes made at that company, quite clearly. Um, but there's and a new chief exec, and there, there, is, there is maybe a recovery story. So let's 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 maybe come back to that, and I'll, I'll reserve judgment. For the yeah. time being. We, we have the shares um, on a hold, on a neutral hold. Yeah. We should stress one we like, though a company we like, uh, which have results this week. Cineworld. Yes, Cineworld is a fantastic company. One of your favourites, I know. It is. It is. Um, I like going to the cinema. Um, and actually, my local cinema is a city world. I think it's, I think it's a good business. But I mean, one, one of the things I I've always known about this business, and we we have had it on a buy for a long, long time, and it's been you know, we have. But the most recent tip was in January, and it's already up seventeen percent since, which is, which is which is interesting. But I mean, that that that, that tip was predicated on a, a sort of a, this is a good quality buy on weakness because it didn't have a great year last year. There weren't great releases mm. and also it, it had a right to see at the beginning of the year to fund a big acquisition so which was in eastern in, europe in eastern europe yeah yep. so it had a bit of a, a well a year of, of consolidation well, as, as they euphemistically say well my, my view is that the businesses like cineworld are hostage somewhat to the re- release schedule so you know if the slate of films for a year is not strong mm. then they're, they're not going to do that well but um, the good news is in 2015 looking pretty good exactly 50 shades of gray <laughs> i'm there <laughs> not <laughs> you seen Fifty Shades of Grey yet Jonas uh, no no <laughs> um, but no 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 in, in also, that, that has been huge yes apparently Despite it gave them record levels of weekend weekend admissions yeah yeah, um, yeah. when it opened on Valentine's Day it tells you all you need to know about the British public <laughs> <laughs> I, I must say I did, I did have to read that sentence twice in the release before I believed it no 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 I, I can believe it and we, but this year we've got a Bond film coming out and Bond's always massive yeah. in the UK box office, and a new Star Wars film, and a new Hunger Games film, and um, yeah, looking pretty good. Looking pretty good. It goes chimes with something that Harriet's been saying for a while. Harriet's um, out. Um, Harriet is right out. out covers the uh, leisure sector. Uh, the, you know, people are spending more of their disposable income on experiences these days, whether that be going to a restaurant or going to the cinema. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we like that. Okay, um, I mean, talking of entertainment, there, there is another company that we like, which is Merlin uh, Entertainment. We heard, they have not had results this week. Merlin operates a number of theme parks, Legoland, Madame Tussauds, Madame Tussauds uh, <laughs> is it Thought Park? Thought Park? Um, Alton Towers? I can never remember. Yeah, Alton, anyway, it's Alton Towers. Alton Towers. So, so we like that because, I mean, I don't know if you... 
you've ever taken Jonas have you ever taken your family to Legoland uh, yeah never again <laughs> and uh, I mean how much was the mortgage you had to take, had to take your family to oh, Legoland yeah, well it was a one hour queue and the 90 second rides that put me off yeah it's quite expensive as well yeah. and it is very expensive but but, you know, as you say, it is so popular that the queues are enormous. But there's a slightly different way to play this popularity. Yep, through its landlord. Through its but landlord. Jonas um, wrote up the results this week of uh, oh, secure income, income REIT. And we initiated, didn't we, on a, on a, on a buy? I mean, take us through the... Yeah, well, they, they hold a freehold of um, all these things. And they have two uh, tenants. Uh, Merlin is one. And the other one is um, a hospital group, which is, I think, one of the biggest ho- private hospital groups um, in, in, in the... Uh, Ram- Ramsey in Healthcare. The That's right, yeah. Are they, sorry, is that a UK operator or is that... Is that Ramsey, outside? no, yeah. it's Australian. Oh, right, okay. So they yeah. own, they've got property in Australia as well. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a nice setup, but, I mean, there's no dividend at the moment because they're very heavily geared. Um, but uh, once they refinance in a couple of years' time, mm. um, the interest rates will come down on their, on their debt. Um, and so they have more money to spare, uh, to spare on, on a dividend. Um, also, they're, they're generating lots of cash, so their loan-to-value rate is coming down. I think it was about 80%. Um, previously, it's 70% uh, in the last financial year. And they are thinking, well, they've kind of put tested the water with Madame Tussauds um, to see if anyone wants to buy it for a silly price. I think about $300 millions, um mooted so mm. if they sell that um obviously that'll bring down the debt considerably there's another reason we like that is because actually the previous their previous venture um so this was secure income was floated off by um a company called Pressbury, yeah um which um is oh. run by a guy called nick leslow and another guy called there, mike there brown there are a couple of familiar names in the yeah property, exactly so. and they're, they're they're kind of old hands in mm. property and they they set up they they very successfully ran a uh, a company called Max Property, yes, um, right. which uh, was bought, I think, by a U.S. private yeah. equity company. Anyway, it was bought for a you know a, a good deal more than it was floated for um, five years previously. I, I'm glad yeah. you say that because because Joe just mentioned something there uh, that you know refinancing. So yes, obviously you have to borrow to to build up these uh, these portfolios. But you know refinancing is a word that came and bit a lot of people on the backsides during the during the uh, the recession, uh, the Great Recession. But you know I, I guess when you, when you've got blue chip tenants like this and experienced management then you know refinancing risk is pretty minimal with this as well yeah very much so i mean some of the some of the deals that they're they're being offered i mean some property companies are getting part of their debt refinanced at fixed rates for 10 years which um, you were saying aviva three point who who, who was it Uh, Um, i can't remember who it was refinanced um someone's got got a 10-year fixed rate deal for three three point something percent three point eight four percent from aviva um, uh, Helical Bar. Helical Bar, that's yeah. right. Okay, and Mike Slade. Uh, is Mike Slade. It's, it's actually, um, yes, there is a link, because Mike Brown, uh, who's now at Presbury, was the was his uh, Mike Slade's kind of right-hand man it's at a Helical, small industry, Helical Bar. It's, 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 it's a small family industry. industry yeah. Indeed. Um, but yeah, back to guys that know what they're doing, and these are one of them. Yeah, These absolutely. are definitely one of them. Okay, thank you. Uh, Jonas, I mean... Uh, it's, it's kind of niche. But let's talk about another niche uh, income story that uh, that you've been following for quite some time, which is uh, the funding of civil litigation. We had two results this week mm. uh, in this area. Tell, tell us about the Burford Capital and Juridica. Yeah, well, Burford Capital's been um, spent a couple of years trying to convince people they weren't ambulance chasers, um, which obviously is a sector that has a, a less of a reputation. Um, but 
they, they operate mainly in America, and quite simply they have an investment manager who identifies cases where people would like to pursue civil litigation, but because they don't have the money or the time or both, they present the case and Burford simply puts up the money. And obviously when they win, and they I don't think they've lost yet, when they win, they just take a nice chunk out of the damages. Trouble is, it's very lumpy. Um, mm. uh, you can win a case and somebody doesn't pay up, or you might find that they're their company structure is so complex it'll take years and years and years to get through um, but the returns when they do come although they're lumpy are uh, very impressive uh, Juridica is a little bit more uh, complex because it, uh, it has a, a, an int a different structure but the yield at the moment is over 17% 17.2% uh, but next year it might not be 17.2% it depends on how many cases mature and how mm. much money they get but generally speaking it, it does offer a substantial uh income substantial dividends very much so yeah maybe not of that level but yeah. but certainly attractive yes there's a there's a certain risk involved i suppose because obviously if they lose all their cases um you won't get anything but in the case of juridica i think they're trading about 30 percent discount to mm. this asset value so um, well, what's their track record like in terms of oh, the success rate on, uh, on so cases? they're both superb yeah, uh, they're yeah. both based. I think there was an earlier one uh, operated out of Australia, and that's really what keyed it all off. And their track record is just unbelievable. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's just another example of the kind of uh, both secure income, Juridica and Burger mm. Caps, so the kind of places you can go and find income. Yeah, uh, niche, niche income. Niche stories. income. I mean, what is, you know, I mean, you know, obviously. And this was what I was writing about in taking stock. In taking stock. Because, yeah. um, you know, the, 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 I think there's a strong argument to say. You know, the hunt for yield obviously is a, is, a, is a net by now a very familiar theme of the the UK equity market. I mean, it has been since the Bank of England cut its rates um, to 0.5% in March 2009. So that's um, six years ago this month, and it's just it's just built and built this theme as as debt rates have fallen further. And um, and but the the pen, my the, the argument I was making was that the pension. Um, Reforms, so you know the fact that um, you know even even the five million existing annuitants might, if they want, I mean, subject to the caveats who were, we, were, we were talking about before, uh, want to, to cash in their annuities. And, and but people coming into the into the retirement market will probably stay invested mm. now, um, whether that's in a drawdown product or or just in the equity market taking a yield. But anyway, that this that there will be a greater need than ever for. Yielding shares or assets generally, but uh, yeah, or, but asset, or assets generally. But we like shares, but, 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 but shares are you know li liquid, transparent, and yeah. But um, I guess have a long track record. The problem, the problem, <laughs> the, but the, one of the problems you you address in your column, and, and this is what I want to discuss now, and this is why yeah. I want to bring Mark back into this because uh, because it involves oil. Is that a lot of the, what I've traditionally seen is the big dividend paying sectors, pharma. Tobacco, tobacco, oil. Yeah. These are industries that Big face very uncertain <laughs> futures in some respects. So they have been yeah. well known for their cash generation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, tobaccos, yeah. tobacco, smoking, smashing use plain, is in decline. Plain, pa plain packaging only this week. But it is in decline. Smoking rates have been in decline yeah, for years. Absolutely. Um, you know, pharmaceutical, it, uh, the giants, they, they face uh, the, yeah, the, the risk of, of re replenishing their portfolios. It's harder to, to create mm. new treatments that, that, that make it to market. And the generic risk is huge there. Mm -hmm. And oil, again, is something we. 
Well, oil is an interesting one because yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the the main issue at the moment is 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 cyclical. Everyone's worried about you know. We assume it's cyclical. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's main. It's you know, it's a supply glut and so forth. Um, but the longer term story is there could be a, an argument. Um, you know, well, will will oil still be used in thirty years' time? That is that is the big question. It's a bit like Warren Buffett is obviously fond of saying people will be buying insurance mm. and drinking Coca Cola in a hundred years' time. Well, you know, his consumer brands. Yeah. In in a hundred yeah. years in a hundred years' time, it's it's hard to make that argument for BP and Shell. Well, well, do people go and buy? You know, do people say, "Oh, well, I'm not I'm not stopping at that Tesco petrol station. I'm only I only buy BP. It doesn't really work in the same way. You buy petrol because you need petrol. Yeah, know, exactly. It's, it's, it's uh, and if, it's, if, it's what if, it is. If yeah, cars get ever more fuel efficient, and and you know the headlines are, are, are dominated by um, electric. Cars these days, what is it? But it's, but it's yeah. true. I mean, yeah. this week I think we saw some news from uh, Dyson, yeah, the, the Hoover manufacturer, who's investing uh, in a sort of venture capital base in a, in a battery company, uh, who's you know developing these much more efficient batteries that will massively reduce the size of the of the batteries required to power electric cars. And you know, if you, you, you reduce the size, you can have more of them. These things can go on for for forever and ever, rather than the limited mileage that they can do. At the moment, um, so yeah, I, I you know, and I'm I'm in the market for a car, as I'm pretty sure I mentioned recently, and you know, I'm looking at mileages that you can get out of cars these days, and it's not really seventy miles a gallon, really, it's insane. I mean, you know, twenty years ago, you, you were talking half of that at the, at the very best. I mean, the technology is moving on at a rate of knots. So I get, I guess, you know, there was often a discussion around peak oil. You know, when are we going to run out of oil? But now I think perhaps the discussion has shifted to do we have too much oil? Do we have more oil than we will ever need because well, of the, the developments in, in uh, energy efficiency? Well, the, the point is, is is that we have passed peak oil in a sense in that we've passed the point at which we can – we've passed with the point where over 51% of easily extractable oil has mm. been used. That much is true. So what we have left is stuff that's either deeper in the ground, deeper underwater, harder to get at, harder to extract, and more expensive. On that, but I mean, there's nothing to suggest that 30 years down the track that um, uh, the world will be using any less oil. It just might be used in, in very different ways. Uh, when you look at the um, the growth is coming from uh, Asian markets, and there's still so much capacity there that, that can be taken up. But it is true that... Uh, when you look at uh, alternative power sources, electrical cars, for instance, that's going to become a, an increasingly uh, more important part of the mix. Um, you know, hybrid cars, uh, uh, different designs are coming out uh, every other week now. Only last week I read that uh, Peugeot are releasing a compressed air uh, petrol hybrid, uh, which um, which could point to the future as well. Uh, I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> well, uh, the very first cars that were produced were powered by compressed air. Okay. Um, prior to internal combustion engines. We like, we like a bit of history on this program. And in fact, yeah. if you go to Schiphol Airport, you find that all the uh, the vehicles there are, are using compressed air. It's just another it's just another facet of how uh, it's changing quite rapidly. Uh, with the big oil companies at the moment, uh, we know that they're um, uh, cutting back their capital costs, trying to free up as much cash as they can over the next couple of years to uh, sustain their dividend rates. Uh, Shell's been quite unambiguous in its commitments, hasn't it? Well, absolutely. Um, they've realised this is the main uh, supportive element for the, the share price. Mm. So I think near term, uh, our readers uh, needn't worry. 
Um, over the long term, uh, companies like BP and Shell could uh, transform themselves. Uh, already there's a push away for... Uh, they, they used to be absolutely obsessed by their um, reserve capability. That is no longer the case, and that's partly down to the fact that uh, national oil companies um, hold sway in that area. Uh, big operators like BP and Shell, uh, Exxon, Chevron are brought in under license basis now, which never used to be the case. Mm. Um, so over time, you might see them uh, converting into a type of um, quasi-oil service uh, function uh, in in closer sort of uh, cooperation with national oil companies. This is already happening. So, you know, we rather than the oil market itself changing, the companies themselves might change. Well, I mean, it sounds like the, the, whatever happens, the, there's some big change ahead of this industry. And I don't think we should take for granted that, that it will continue to operate in the way it does now and pay the dividends that it does now in, in, the, same, in the same way and, and mm. backed by the same cash flows. Yeah, that would just be a lazy assumption. But I think in the, in the near term, our um, readers needn't worry about uh, uh, the dividends. Indeed. Well, I, I actually, I saw it because we've got a solar eclipse to, today if... We mm-hmm. actually record this Thursday, but it will probably be published on, on Friday. Uh, we've got a solar eclipse. And, and I actually, there is a genuine concern across much of Europe that there is so much solar capacity plugged into the grid that the, the two and a half minutes that the sun will be obscured could actually cause a bit of a, of a hiccup. And it's, you know, this, I think this is, I, I was really struck by this and how, how, how symptomatic it is of the changing energy mix and, and you know, how, how perhaps, mm. perhaps the hydrocarbon economy is not, you know, here forever. But I, think, I think these. I mean, as I was saying to you earlier, John. I mean, I met recently with the, the head of equities at um, Henderson Group, um, Matt Harrison, and, it, and in a more speculative moment, he did sort of say, "Well, he he wondered whether selling oil stocks would be, you know, one of the big calls of his his later career." I, I might just add as well that the the mix as well, the production mix is being slanted ever more towards natural gas as well, and over the long term, uh, the, the the fundamentals are more supportive for that. I would I would agree with that. Actually. More and more of our electricity is being generated yeah, through yeah. natural gas, and plus there's there's the link to agriculture as well. The fertilizer industry depends on on uh, the natural gas industry. I, I, I no, I, I would agree with that. As I, as I said, I think you know, uh, in terms of ele- even if you have an electric car, you need to generate that electric. Elect- electricity somehow um, and you know the, the reality is that we're never going to build enough nuclear capacity to completely replace re- replace the hydrocarbon uh, generating base and we don't want to burn coal so so yeah I, I, I the logical it's a very long-term story look the logical conclusion yeah. is that, that natural gas it has it will be around for some some time to come yeah okay let us talk about another aspect of income which uh, Jonas uh, has covered this week in our cover feature, um, and that is buy-to-let property. So pension freedom. Pensioners are going to be cashing in their pensions, going out and and buying rental property. Mm. Good idea or not, (coughs) Jonas? Well, let me uh, make it clear. Uh, I'm I'm very much um, in favour of the concept of buy-to-let, but um, I think some people have got a a bit ahead of themselves um, because releasing money from a pension pot will provide a supplementary source of finance, but it won't supply the whole lot. Mm. Um, there's a huge amount of um, ignorance, and when I say ignorance, not ignorant people, but ignorance about wh- what, what the new rules uh, imply. Um, you're allowed to take 25% tax-free. Um, a recent surveys show that two-thirds of potential or up-and-coming pensions don't realise that. Mm. Um, so if you think that on April the 6th you can walk out of your pension provider with a cheque, you're deluding yourself. It won't happen. 
Uh, there are going to be about 300,000 expected inquiries on day one, um, and the advisory structure will melt because you can't set out a big decision like that in just half an hour chat. Oh, this is the, the pension guidance service that's been set up through yeah, exactly. the Citizen Advice Bureau, yeah. I think it is. Um, uh, and also, you know, if you take out the whole lot, um, you can pay 20% to 45% in tax. So you could virtually halve your pension pot um, before you did anything, which is clearly not an option. But if you want to use some of it, yeah, fine. But you'll have to get a buy-to-let mortgage. You can get a mortgage now if you're older. Or you can, you know... Uh, sell your house and buy a smaller house, release capital. But um, the average pension uh, pot is about 65000 So the average, I know that that's an average, so there's a lot smaller and a lot bigger, or a few bigger. But initially, you'll be able to draw down 17000 quid cash tax-free. Not going to get far with that in, in no. the UK property market. Okay, so so I guess, I mean, the point, the overall point you're making there is that the uh, speculation that Pension Freedom Day will, will see a, a surge of pensioners, mm. silver landlords, as I think you described, heading yeah. heading to the estate agents to buy up, buy to let property en masse is just simply not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No. Okay. Um, but... There may be some who are in a, in a privileged position where they, they perhaps have a little bit more to play with. I think you mentioned in your feature that the, uh, the mortgage rules may, may be uh, loosened up so that, so, mm. so that it becomes easier for someone over 65 to actually take out a, a buy-to-let mortgage. Yeah, you can already get a buy-to-let mortgage um, that are being offered uh, for people under 70. Uh, now, obviously, there are uh, problems with that in as much as when you die, uh, it has to be repaid. Mm. Now, your your uh, the, the people who inherit your estate could elect to stump up the money and keep on the buy to let uh, and obviously the, the the premiums on a or life insurance premiums for a 75 year old for example on a on a on a mortgage would be prohibitively expensive because they know they're going to have to pay it out yeah um so it's it it is another f- uh, way of raising the funds but it's interesting because a lot of people have spent 25 years paying off the and I don't think they're going to rush out to get another mortgage. No, no. I mean, one of the things you mentioned that I thought was quite interesting. So, you know, as when you decide to become a landlord, I think a lot of people, um, as you mentioned, and we've, we've got a contributor, uh, Trish Leslie, who's a landlord herself, who's mm. written about some of the the, the uh, ways she goes about mitigating the risk of being a landlord. And those risks are quite plentiful. But, you know, one of, one of the things you mentioned is actually try and buy locally. Now, if you've actually got a property that's worth a lot of money, let's say it's in London, for example, buying locally might be difficult. Yeah, but I think one of the things you right. mentioned that I thought was quite interesting was, well, you know, people might consider selling their property, downsizing, buying a small flat for themselves or a small property for themselves, and, and actually buy, buying another couple of properties. So, but this this has nothing to do with pension freedom. This is just well, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you've got a four hundred thousand pound pension pot, which is a lot. Um, on average, it's a lot. I mean, you can walk away with £100,000 and you can go to Liverpool and buy a luxury flat for 65000 Not bad. Not bad. Move it to Liverpool. Yeah, but be prepared for the phone call at 10 o'clock at night and you're living in Guildford, for example, and, and uh, the central heating's broken down and it's it's up to you. Mm. Well, I guess you could pay agents to look after this for you, but yeah. then you're eating into the yield that you could you could get. You eat, that eats into the yield, you know, if they're charging 15%. Then there's tax... Maintenance costs, travel costs. So, you know, that's, that 7% gross yield or 8% gross yield suddenly starts to look a little bit uh, less or a lot less. And as there's always the, the risk of voids. If your tenant leaves, 
you're still paying the mortgage, but you're not getting any rent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess overall, I think, you know, we see a lot of figures banded about, about what sort of, uh, what sort of returns, what sort of yields you can expect from buy to let. But I guess there is no, there is no right answer. It's, no. Uh, there is no actual fig- absolute figure that, that no. definitively says what you're going to get. No. I think that the time is probably passed because, um, you know, if you go back 20 years, house prices obviously were less. Um, but in that time, they've gone up in value. But rents haven't gone up as much mm. so the yield compression kicks in um, and of course those people who bought houses 20 years ago have seen capital appreciation and they can gear themselves up on the assets they have now to buy more properties starting out now with one property um, is difficult and, and I think there's a, there's a stat in here that uh, yeah, 20% of landlords who let out between two and four properties either break even or run at a loss. So the, 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 the fewer properties you have, the more chance or the less chance you have of making money from it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a glowing advertisement for buy to let, I don't, <laughs> I don't think. Um, no, thank you. Thank you, Jonas. I think, um, you know, many people might still decide that, that this is something they're interested in. Yep. A lot of people are very comfortable and familiar with the idea of owning property in perhaps, you know, in a way they wouldn't be so comfortable with buying shares in the landlord of an amusement park <laughs> operator. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, even if you uh, aren't put off by what we're saying about the difficulties of being a landlord, this is worth a read because I think there's, there are a lot of things that people perhaps wouldn't consider um, when, when they're deciding to get into this. It's, it's, a, it's a big decision, a big leap, and I think this feature yeah. is uh, excellent um, in terms of wrapping up those and, and helping people understand how they can navigate this very difficult business, quite frankly. Mm. Um, actually, Stephen, I'm going to come back to you because we, we did talk about um, uh, one company that's doing very well out by today. Yeah, one, one of our challenger banks. Indeed, one savings bank. Um, yeah, buy to let was effectively the reason why its profits grew um, very fast. I'm trying to remember exactly what, but um, doesn't matter. Very fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we like we like them. Last year, and uh, yeah, we 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 decided to to put them on a buy because it it just um, it looks um, very cheap. I mean. Uh, Shares trading on eight times yeah, this year's earnings. That's very cheap. Um, um, which maybe because they're just extremely profitable, and the reason they're so profitable is that um, you know they have a lot of outsourced operations in mm. India, for example, and they've got a cost income ratio of twenty eight percent, and it seems to be growing pretty fast too, thanks to the buy to let boom, um, which uh, doesn't seem to. I mean, the mortgage volumes are down quite heavily um, this year, but that's mainly mm. in the owner occupier sector. Mm. Yeah, buy to lets. Bytelet, you know, is still recovering. And we like Paragon as well. Hopefully, yeah. it's a, it's a similar, similar business. Very similar business. You like yeah. you've had Paragon and buy phrases, have you not? Yeah, I mean, well, Paragon are much solid, more solid now because they've got a deposit base. They've a, they've got a bank license. But it, it's interesting to note that when the crash came in two thousand and eight, um, wholesale funding dried up and securitisation dried up, so they couldn't raise any money. So all they did was um, um, negotiate buy-to-let loans because obviously landlords were delirious about this because they were buying houses that were falling in price because yeah. they knew what was going to happen in 10 years' time. And they just sat there and uh, just pulled the income in from their existing um, uh, mortgages and, and worked their way through. Um, so it's a, it's a, it came through the recession very well. Yeah. Indeed. Well, there you go. Buy to let, good business if you're in the, uh, in the in the lending business, but not so <laughs> if you're in the homeowning business or, yeah. or new to the homeowning business. Okay. Well, thank you, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Jonas. Pleasure. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mark. Pleasure. Um, plenty more in the magazine this week. We've obviously got a lot more results. Um, still, still 
uh, right in the thick of result season. Slowed down a little bit this week, but um, uh, it seems to be picking up again next week, which is bizarre. The aim season. Oh, the aim season yeah. kicks off. Okay, and then um, stock screens from algae this week. Um, looks a good one. Uh, sector focus on the UK's pub sector. Penny off beer in this uh, this year's budget again. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're not not necessarily so keen that that's going to, uh, or so convinced that that's going to help the uh, the pubcos that much. Um, as I said, personal finance podcast for uh, for all the personal finance and fun stuff in the magazine. Have a look at that. And uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again next week. Thank you. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.